1: Call us today at 800-QUICKEN or go to rocketmortgage.com. Racial approval only valid on certain 30-year fixed-rate loans. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender. License in all 50 states. NMLS number 3030. Additional conditions or exclusions may apply. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo. And with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello. Come on, Dan. Let's be real. We we're, we're, not, we're not we're not that fan base. It's it's funny because I saw it. <laughs> oh, go for it.
0: I guess we'll go with a happy uh, played beyond expectations in both tournaments week.
1: Happy gravy day.
0: Ha- happy yes, happy gravy day. Hope you all choked down some uh, some gravy, which is gross. And drinking the drinking
1: gravy. <laughs> Yes. Uh, No, I have to say that uh, this fan base impressed me a ton um, during the tournament, and especially right afterward. I mean, myself included. Far from the most rational fan around. Um, I I was oddly at ease at the end of that game. I think a lot of fans were. I talked to to folks when I was at the uh, the women's game-watching party in Houston on um, Sunday, and honestly, couldn't find a more energetic and and positive crowd. It was... It, it was refreshing for, for a fan base that I feel like is ready to jump off a cliff uh, at a moment's notice.
0: Yeah, I was totally the same way. I think the way the... the I mean, obviously, both tournaments, uh, in retrospect, you couldn't have asked for more, um, honestly. And the way both teams bowed out, I think, was, was decent in terms of, you know, uh, mitigating any heartbreak. Like, neither game was all that close at the end, but neither team gave up. Like Syracuse had, the men had that nice run to seven with what, like six minutes left that, you know, it looked like we were still competitive late in the second half, but then, you know, it, it looked like we were going to lose. And we all kind t- of came to grips with that before the finish. And then the women, obviously, you know, they lost by 31. That's like losing to, that's like losing by seven to a normal team. <laughs> um, and even they, they had that 16-0 run in the middle of the second half, which was awesome, like, they, they actually, I, I wouldn't say UConn fans were, like, nervous, but for a while, like, UConn just couldn't figure it, set, figure out Syracuse for, like, a good three or four minutes. And you can't say that about many teams against the UConn women. So, it was a good effort. I thought Syracuse, you know, it, it, I wouldn't say they proved they, like, belong to the court with the Husties, but I don't think there's a team that does. So, it, they look like any other second or third tier college, women's college basketball team that plays UConn, um, which, you know, that's we're striving to get to that, like, Notre Dame, South Carolina level next, and... That's about what happens when those teams play UConn most of the time, too. So um, I think both teams uh, avoided, like, a total disaster. They were both competitive against uh, much superior opponents. And uh, they both reached heights that no one thought they would three weeks ago. So very, very successful uh, March Madness for, for both sides, um, especially the women, which is just an awesome achievement by them. I, I was tweeting a lot about it last night, but everyone seemed to handle it well, too, like you said. I thought the fan base... Was pretty great. Obviously, there were some complaints about fouls here and there, and, and you know, anything else that there's always complaints about. But um, it seems like everyone was really rational and kind of uh, was happy about where where things ended up for the most part.
1: Yeah, and I mean, like you said, it's the, the teams played far, far beyond I think what, what folks thought they were capable of, and I think that especially for the women, this is something that really changes the the face of the program. Um, it does for the men too, and I think that's something we can discuss here. Is like, um, I guess starting with the men, like. This was the first season that Syracuse truly came out of nowhere to make the Final Four. I know in years past, um, you know they might not have been a favored team. Um, they might not have been, you know, somebody that you would have banked on to be able to beat some top seeds. Um, looking at the '96 team, looking at um, you know 2013 team, but e- even then, those were not teams that like. You know, those were teams that people weren't banking on, but they were not teams that were devoid of stars or devoid of talent or devoid of of some sort of, you know, um, praise at one point or another in the season. I mean, this one wasn't either, but um, I I think that this kind of allowed... I mean, we're we're not there yet, but this was a Final Four trip that allowed this program to kind of elevate itself and its level of play and and its perception um, beyond beyond narrative and beyond the kind of maybe tired... um, view of them as is, is, is a step below or a couple steps below the Blue Bloods. Because, you know, the, what the Blue Bloods have been able to do is, is make the Final Four not just when they're great, but, but when they're just very good. Um, and they just know how to play in the tournament. Their coaches know how to coach in the tournament. And, and I think that this is, you know, I, I, I know we said it last week and I've said it on the site, like, this might be Jim Behind's best coaching job of all time with it. I mean, from what he said, his favorite team of all time.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think going maybe a week into the tournament, or even right before, we said. Uh, I know I've talked about with people um, how so often Syracuse men's teams have really uh, ha- finished on uh, just in rough patches. Even even in tournaments where they weren't expected to go very far, like it seems like we're always uh, have some awful uh, way to bow out. Whether it's uh, the Marquette um, the Marquette disaster, the over and back call, or, or the Butler fiasco, or the, the charge on Brandon Trish and it's Michigan, or uh, A.O. and F.A.B.'s issues in the Ohio State game, which remains, like, the most painful game to watch ever, um, there were always, like, even if the team went far, it was never just, like, they lost. There was always just some, like, event that sparked the loss. that was always brutal. Um, this year, I mean, the last time I think the team just kind of made it to where they were supposed to go and lost uh, was 08-09. Even that was, like, a blowout game, like, a really bad one. Um, but this team, like, so far exceeded expectations. Um put up a decent fight against a a one seed, uh, beat, uh, you know, obviously a bunch of teams that were not great. And then Virginia, a team that's been uh, a major hurdle for SU since they entered the ACC. I think they just checked off a lot of boxes. And uh, I think everyone has a really, assuming we figure out this roster in the next couple of months, um, I think everyone has a really uh, good feeling about this program heading forward, which you know, if this was another bad year, if we had missed the tournament again, I mean, that's too straight. You have Bayheim uh, on his last, you know, couple of years here. You have recruiting questions. Things that have been really ugly. Um, even with uh, a tournament, you know, if they had lost the first or second game of the tournament, things could have been ugly for SU. And instead, um, I think the fan base is very excited and, gel- and galvanized. And and it seems like the, the team is pretty happy with how things went. And uh, they're prepping for big things next year, which is always fun.
1: I would agree. I think you know you hit the nail on the head there in terms of um, just kind of maybe turning the page on, on a lot of these sanctions and things. I mean, obviously we're we're kind of hemorrhaging players right now, but um, I, I think there's two ways to look at it, uh, and it's something that you and I were discussing with folks on the site and and, and things like that. You know, is, is that there's there's you know way number one. Which is, these guys weren't going to play anyway. And then there's way number two, um, which is, yeah, but depth. And I think the yeah, but depth um, note is is one worth bringing up um, and one worth, you know, getting a little uneasy about just because from the semblance of, like... Even if we we replace these guys, it's going to be with short-term fixes... Um, for the most part, you're probably going to look at a grad transfer or two. Um, it it just—I'm not going to say that it's bad. I'm not going to say that the program screwed far from it, but but I wouldn't just bank on this team being able to, you know, sit back and just be okay. Uh, especially when we don't know, you know, if anyone else leaves, and that's still very much a real possibility. Yeah,
0: I mean, a lot of this hell is hinges on what Malachi does. What um, I mean, Leiden can always change his mind and enter the draft and then get shocked with some big news from the people there or the draft combine. Um, so a lot, there are a lot of moving parts. I think from where we are now, I'm not all that concerned because just based on how these things work out, I, I bet you that Beheim knew Caleb and Chino were leaving in January, if not earlier. So I'm going to assume the whole staff has been aware of the situation with those two um, and has been planning uh, whether, you know, when, when, when these kids decide to grad transfer, uh, both in and out, like there aren't surprises. Um, coaches know who's leaving from other schools. Um, so whether it's it's Grant Mullins from Columbia or someone else who hasn't made an announcement yet or someone we don't know we're connected to, I have a, a pretty good feeling that Syracuse has its feelers out for a number of fits, especially at guard. Um, I agree with you. Like The depth is a concern. Uh, most more with Caleb. I, I think Chino, if he was going to see the floor, he would have seen the floor this year instead of Leiden all those times at center. Um, but, you know, he just couldn't do it. And that's not, you know, it, it is, it's not a, a knock on him. Um, obviously he did us a, a real solid by graduating in three years and himself getting an SU degree, especially after, uh, the NCAA decided that you like, who knows what their, their judgment of his academics were heading in. Um, but he graduated a pretty, you know, good private university in three years, something, uh, neither of us did. So, um, that's all credit to Chino and that's very good for our APR. Um, I'm sure Caleb was in fine, fine uh, form as well. So that won't be a big issue. Um, I, you know, wouldn't have minded keeping Caleb on the roster just because, you know, we've seen him have moments before, especially last year. um, And I still wasn't totally ready to give up on him, but uh, I have no, you know, judgment towards him for wanting to go somewhere else after just totally falling out of the rotation this season and getting jumped by Frank Howard. So Hopefully, uh, we'll find out some good news with one of these transfers coming up in the next couple of weeks. And then, if if they strike out, if no one else is added, then I'm all aboard. You know, the kind of worry about death train because then it is an issue.
1: Right. And yeah, you know, uh, I really don't blame either of those players for leaving. I don't think it's a. I don't think it's it, it necessarily a surprise. I mean, you've said others have said there's no way Beheim didn't know, and I I, I believe that wholeheartedly. And that's why you started seeing Syracuse. Um, start to gain some momentum with other recruits, um, you know, with a guy like Mullins. I, I think that SU has been preparing for this. I think what, no matter what though, what you can't always prepare for is, you know, four guys and five guys leaving every year, and it's something I, I tried to kind of talk about in an article on Tuesday. Um, didn't seem like everybody was on board necessarily, but that was before uh, we knew about Chino. I, I'd say that. Will be okay if, if this is the end of it. and Maybe even if one more happens, I, I just think that unless you're going to recruit like Kentucky, you can't have player turno- turnover the way Kentucky does every year.
0: And Kentucky's built on like assuming that people are leaving. Like last year, when a bunch of people stayed heading into heading into last season, it was taken. I mean, it was a pretty big surprise when when like uh, a couple of those guys held on, Willie Colley signed, et cetera. Um, but they planned for it ahead of time. Now, you know, who knows what Beheim thought about, like, Malachi's pro prospects setting into the year. He's a five-star recruit, so you have to. Uh, and and obviously, Boeheim was high enough on him to, you know, bring him in and make him a starter from day one. So uh, you assume that he understands there's at least a, a good chance that he heads to the NBA after a year. Um, obviously, that's yet to be seen. Um, but it, it's, it's almost easier to, like, when you're recruiting with the Explicit intent for these kids to leave right away, like Calipari does, versus, uh, and and what Duke does now at this point, um, versus what SU does, which is bringing in a lot of good players who, you know, are kind of on the. You you never quite know if they're going to blow up and leave after one year or if they're going to end up being here for three. Um, It makes it kind of tricky. So uh, hopefully, like I said before, Bayham has his contingencies in order. I trust that he does, but at the same time, you never know when something falls through. Um, A couple months ago, it seemed like Torian Thompson was like a since from to come to SU, and now it sounds like he's leaning in other directions, although he's been pretty quiet about things. So maybe with uh, a couple of people leaving, he sees more playing time opening up and reconsiders us uh, more heavily. Uh, it's all over the place. I mean, recruiting is such an exact science, especially looking out from the outside, that uh, you don't quite know what's going to happen until someone signs. So we have some, uh, some fun intrigue to, to fill ourselves with the next couple months instead of just... Uh, having a long wait without much news until uh, football, so at least that's fun, it'll be good to, good for the site
1: Yeah, um, is there a time when, when Syracuse Athletics isn't at least a little bit interesting? I mean I know that that's coming from us as folks who are, you know, living and breathing and writing about it every day, but does it feel like there's always just more going on with us? I, I just, I can't remember the last time we had um, you know, like a quieter, maybe even couple weeks um, even during the off season, it just seems like there's always there's always something good, bad, or indifferent happening that that you could write about, can write about, and and talk about ad nauseum. Is is that Dan? You think that's a uh, testament to the team's fans? Is it is testament to the stature of the program, or is it just because it's been a very busy few years? Uh, probably all of
0: the above. I mean, we've kind of had we, Syracuse basketball has been kind of a weird in a weird spot the last couple of years. We have had number one teams like three times in the last, what, six or seven years. We've had NCAA stuff that seemingly lasted forever. We've had, you know, self-imposed bands. We've had five-star recruits, one-and-dones. We've had, tra- like, all-time transfers. So it's been a – the last couple of years have been full fill of uh, filled with activity, both good and bad, um, two Final Four runs. So, yeah, it, we definitely have a, probably more going on than the average program. Obviously, we're way closer to Syracuse than we are other ones, so we don't know, like, the – Exact ins and outs of some of these other programs, but it, it definitely feels that way.
1: Yeah. And you know what? I, again, I, like you said, we're, we're in for another, you know, busy offseason here. I, I am very, very intrigued uh, about, you know, how Syracuse is going to be able to, um, you know, replace these players and, and fill these roster spots. I mean, I, I was telling a buddy of mine today, like, which w- would have been nice if, um, you know, we were able to you know, use all the scholarships you know, whenever we want as far as the five left um, because we're, I'd say, probably going to end up having three available if I had to bet um, in this coming year, and that's going to be kind of frustrating in some ways because while we could be you know, over and done with, with those penalties maybe a year early, instead we're going to have to kind of suffer through whether we have the players for the scholarships or not.
0: Right. Uh, so, I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I feel like uh, it wouldn't be very Syracuse of uh, this program just to have the team it has and move on without uh, some last-minute changes and adjustments. So maybe we should be happy. Maybe we should be uh, appreciative of how interesting and uh, constantly evolving her program is.
1: I agree. I think it's better than not being talked about at all. I mean, you look at there's plenty of programs that literally no one cares about on a day-to-day or hour-to-hour or year-to-year basis. Um, Virginia Tech, in our conference, Florida State. More. Who is who has also
0: <laughs> lost two players to transfer in the last two days. So, uh, what's up, guys, Virginia Tech?
1: What's up, buzz. What are, what are <laughs> you? Uh, what's going on down there? Get a case of the get a case of the, uh, the freights? Looking around the looking around the conference.
0: I saw on Twitter today, uh, comedian and occasional, I guess he hosts a radio show, Jay Moore. Compared Buzz Williams to John Wooden, which is maybe the weirdest thing anyone's ever said uh, in the world in history.
1: False. No one's ever
0: made a worse comparison.
1: That's I don't know how. And is a good coach,
0: but come on. <laughs> like, what was the basis for it? I don't know. He must have just had him on the show or something. Yeah. Like, it was yeah. so absurd. I like I actually like clicked on it multiple times to see if it was like actually Jay Moore.
1: Like we all have a dream. And...
0: <laughs> So that was yeah, that was a thing on the internet today.
1: Very Everything on Twitter's true. Everything on Twitter. I mean just just go to any West Virginia bloggers account and you'll find you'll find a bevy of, of, of true information about about your your team's fate in, in a conference you're not currently in.
0: Yes. Shout out to West Virginia today, got got Will Greer. Sure. Going, on, going down the country
1: roads. To be honest, I think that's a good move for them. Um, I think that Will Greer it makes sense that he would want to leave. Um, I think that West Virginia's has done a really nice job with uh, kind of rebirthing some, some kids careers in recent years uh, quarterback. I don't think that, that this is a sustainable strategy for them long term, especially when they're a program that did develop a decent amount of homegrown talent. But um, yeah, I, I think that this is, this is not the worst way if you're a Hulgo, um, to kind of set yourself up to, to win seven games, eight games a year.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I would I would have taken him. <laughs> like, unless you are really hung up on whatever like weird over-the-counter, uh, whatever the hell he was with, taking, weight gainers or whatever. Like I'm not all that concerned about that. So, yeah, uh, West Virginia definitely needs a, a little bit of an infusion of talent. They've kind of admired in the... A endless abyss at the middle of the Big, 10, Big Twelve. So, um, why not pick up a quarterback who won six straight games to start of the year last year, including beating Ole Miss.
1: Too, too true. Um, all right, going a little over to the, the women's side of things, and you and I were kind of starting to hit on this um, earlier. Dan, what does this mean to the program? Making the Final Four. I mean, the final, the, the the score doesn't matter. Um, the loss to UConn doesn't matter. You could have lost anyone, but what does it mean for, for Coach Q to have been able to get this team, um, you know, full full of talent and, and some four year stars and and things like that? How does it has it impact the future of this program's recruiting and its trajectory long term?
0: Uh, it's huge. I mean, obviously, you have to follow it up with uh, continued success. Although, with the recruiting that Q's had over the last couple of years, I don't think that should be. Uh, a major question. Uh, it should only get better. Um, but I think it's huge. I, f- first off, I've liter- literally have never seen uh, the women's program have anywhere near the hype it had uh, in the last couple couple weeks. And obviously you can accuse Syracuse fans of bandwagoning and uh, being, you know, just only supportive when they made this deep run. And who cares? Like The, the program had such little fan support going into the tournament and, and basically throughout its entire history here um, that What else are you going to do? So uh, I think, A, we'll, we'll really find out next year when when the women's team starts its season again. But I would be surprised if there wasn't at least a, a decent bump in terms of attendance and in terms of, of media coverage. Uh, I don't remember Syracuse.com ever writing so much about the women's team. But then they made their run, and they were getting uh, – not this coverage of the men were getting, but a very good, decent amount. Bud wrote his column about them, which was probably, what, the first time in two or three years – Um, so just all, in terms of everything at home, it was only good. Uh, I saw, you know, so many people, everyone on Syracuse, Twitter, watching the game last night, a lot of statuses on Facebook from people who I went to school with. And I can tell you as someone who went to, you know, probably a dozen women's basketball games while I was there, definitely didn't go to many, um, if any. So definitely, there's definitely an uh, increase in, in engagement and interest. Um, and then just in terms of making the final four itself, there just aren't that many teams that have done that, um, the women's basketball, obviously, the top tier is just UConn. They're alone at the top right now until someone decides to knock them off. But um, Syracuse did. I mean, it beat some big-name programs along the way. Tennessee is one of the historic programs in, in the sport, and they crushed them. They beat South Carolina, who's probably been the second-best women's program, maybe third if you put Notre Dame ahead of them over the last two or three years. Um, so Syracuse involved itself into that category with – you know, the Tennessees, the South Carolinas, Notre Dames, the Stanfords, uh, some of these other programs that, you know, they're not UConn, but they are kind of fighting right below them to be in the top 10 and to be the other number one seeds. Um, that's huge because at one point, you know, UConn kind of came, like, UConn wasn't always a, the superpower in women's college basketball. They emerged around when their men did in the 90s and they took the throne from Tennessee and now they are kind of sitting there at top and they've done things one else did before. But, um they won't be there forever. I mean, you can only coach for so much longer. He's not like about to retire or anything as far as I know, but eventually someone is going to replace you. You come the top. It might take 10 years, but if Syracuse can just keep on helping along with other programs, chip away at that, that solid number one team and make things more competitive and close that gap. Um, I think it'd be great. And, and if you can finally get a couple thousand people in the dome for games, no one's asking for 20, but if you can get five thousand, six thousand, ten thousand for a big game into the dome, then you re- then that actually becomes a recruiting tool. and Coach uh, Q can really go out and get even more of these top players. He's already signing top ten, top fifteen classes. Now you start fighting for top five. Go keep the kids, the the girls from down in New York City. Um, so I think it was really monumental. And obviously, uh, men's basketball gets way more attention, and that's understandable. We all know why. And it's just been you know. One of the best programs in the country, but uh, this final, this championship run for the women is so much more impactful, even than what the Final Four did for the men. So it was it was a real thrill to watch.
1: No, I agree, and I think you know the, the women's style of play, especially for those who may be frustrated by the way uh, Syracuse men's offense has kind of fallen off a cliff in recent years. Um, if you if you want to watch you know some some fun, some entertaining basketball that that shows you know great ball movement and, and just an aggressive style, I mean. They're definitely, they're definitely one of the more entertaining teams to watch in women's college basketball. I think that they were a team that, you know, maybe without the early jitters, maybe without, you know, a little. I mean, obviously a size advantage for UConn. Like they weren't going to win that game, but um, there were some factors that were definitely in their favor, and those are factors that are going to continue, um, you know, past this. I mean, you saw it in the sixteen nothing run in the third quarter um, for for the SU women's team that, that. this is a group that really knows how to fight Um, and and that's something that's going to carry over they're going to learn a lot from this Um, and and it's not like the men's game either where you know if you're not a traditional power that you have to worry about your coach you know heading elsewhere I I think Hughes into the long haul Syracuse Hughes has made a lot of investments in him a lot of investments in the women's program of late Uh, and now that it's paid the ultimate dividend well almost the ultimate dividend um, you know making the final four getting to a national championship game um I think that you know you're only going to see this this program grow a hell of a lot more. Um, I, I am really looking forward to what happens next for them. Um, and then you know you brought up too. I'm looking forward to what happens next for UConn. Like I, I hate UConn as a as an entity, but I, I can have respect for things they've done. Um, you said I, I thought that the Bob Diaco hire wasn't a bad one in football. I think that you know Calhoun really did build a program out of out of almost nothing in the 90s, um, or at least without much history in the 90s. Um, and I think that Gino Oriam has been able to do stuff that um, you know, no coach has been able to do in any sport. Uh, he's been able to, to basically create a death machine. And, and where this year's team differed from, I think, previous teams is just how dominating and how um, just just good, I mean, great, great is even an understatement. Uh, this, this team was, and, and it's it's a testament to how the women's game allows you to have you know four year starters and, and and a culture of winning um, with similar players. It doesn't mean the men's game should go back to that or will ever go back to that. It's just a note that you know he's he's evolved the way the women's game thinks the way it the way it looks, um, and, and and he's allowed women's basketball to progress a ton. Uh, I don't really think UConn is, is going to, to drop off. You know much, if at all, um, when he decides to hang it up. Um, and I heard him on the Dan Patrick Show this morning. And he, he definitely seems like he's he's starting to look in that general direction um, in in the this you know near future, I guess. But I mean, we'll have to see. I think you know other programs have shown themselves um, an ability to to stop them, uh, not in the last four years, but you know between the Notre Dame's and the Stanford's and and South Carolinas and Baylor's and. There's plenty of other schools that have managed sustained success um, past what you know Syracuse has just done this year, but I think, you know, maybe five, ten years down the road, I think we're starting to get to a point where like Yukon Yukon happened to have a generational player in Brianna Stewart. Once now that she's gone, it's gonna be interesting to see next year if if given how much the rest of the, the, the country has grown and and grown while trying to catch them It'll be interesting to see if we see our first our first real real kind of parody driven season in, in in women's college basketball with maybe 10 to 15 teams even competing for the championship
0: yeah as a connecticut person um i will tell you that for probably the last 15 years uh every time they have one of these generational players like diana tarazi or maya moore um oh and then just from where i'm coming from uh my dad is a ravenous UConn basketball fan. Like, it's his favorite team of any sport, uh, of any league, of anything. Um, so when Diana Taurasi was graduating, I said, you know, oh, they're definitely not going to be as good with Diana, Diana Taurasi. He's like, oh, no, trust me, they're bringing in uh, a bunch of other players who are just as good. And then they brought in Maya Moore, and I said the same thing, and then they were just, just as good after she left. So I don't think they should be quite as good without Brianna Stewart. Because she was like just a ridiculous talent, um, if that wasn't obvious by the four uh, MOPs and four straight tournaments. But uh, I'm kind of done questioning it, so we'll we'll find out, I guess. Um, but uh, yeah, definitely some interesting points about kind of what they've done as a whole as an athletic department. Um, I've long held the belief that uh, Jim Calhoun is the most important person in the University of Connecticut's history uh, as before. The two basketball programs emerged like no one wanted to go to that school. It wasn't a great school. Now it's a pretty good, uh, very good public university um, with a lot of very good students. And it didn't happen before they had a reason to go up and stay in stores for four years. Uh, So, yeah, that's all very important for them. Um, And hopefully their women's basketball program will be nice enough to let some of us come and play and compete a little bit. But I wouldn't I wouldn't bet on it.
1: No, and I wouldn't either. I, I think that you know it, it takes a while for a program to to really you know drop down, and and I don't think that's going to happen either. But again, there there's UConn is was was unbeatable this year. They were unbeatable last year, um, but that doesn't mean that they're invincible either. And that goes for any team that you know marches through a regular season unbeaten. They still, in many cases, do get tested in the playoffs. That there's, you know, at some point that the sample size allows you uh to to find ways to game plan around it, even if you don't win, you start to expose some holes. I mean you're seeing you saw it with um elements of our game for for a short amount of time. Um and I said it during that game that like, you know, UConn didn't play its best basketball that day. They did but but Syracuse didn't either. Um and that's kind of why you ended up with a with a typical pedestrian score that many people will just forget um you know by the time they listen to this, if not sooner. um, I think you know you can go to the NBA and see that the Warriors, like, while they're obviously playing a style of basketball that people can't can't replicate, can't necessarily defend because they don't have the same athletes, or, or specifically Steph Curry. Um, at, at the same time, you know teams are teams are starting to beat them at a more, I wouldn't say rapid because that's not the word, but a more frequent pace than they were before. And part of that is just the, the toll of an eighty two game season and, and and boredom with the regular season as Draymond Green described today. But um a lot of it too is that you know you finally have enough film that, that people can figure it out. And if a team with you know a couple very, very good players and and, and zero shot at the playoffs like the Timberwolves can can find a way to beat them. Um I I do start to wonder and, and you know maybe maybe stupidly so you know, whether or not they're vulnerable against, uh, you know, uh, one of the better teams out west, um, now, now that the, the blueprint's starting to get written more and more, more regularly, and to be honest, largely by subpar teams this season.
0: Yeah, it is weird that I mean the Celtics are pretty good despite not having a ton of talent. Brad Stevens is amazing, but uh, it is interesting that they they there's definitely like a, a motivation thing. Like, there's no reason they should be losing to the Lakers and the Timberwolves and. Blowing out everyone else. Um, But, I I mean, I think Draymond was pretty candid yesterday when he kind of had his comments after the game. And and it's understandable. People don't like to hear that. But, like, people like to uh, take human uh, nature out of sports and believe that everyone's like, an an automaton or, like, a video game where you just, you know, the players are the same every single time you play. But it's just not realistic. And the T-Wolves are super talented. Um, Like, Charlie Anthony Towns is a borderline all-star already. Andrew Wiggins is awesome. So um, it was surprising to see them just not put forth a great effort. But, yeah, I think that's the difference between, like, the NBA and what we see with women's basketball. Like, just if UConn doesn't bring its A game, the other team still needs to play, play like, a perfect game to beat them. Um, if the, the Warriors don't bring their A game, I mean, an under 500 team can beat them. So I think that's, like, uh, but it goes back to that whole, like, are they good for the sport or not thing. I, I hate to like criticize a team for winning uh, and and I don't necessarily subscribe to like them not being good for the sport but they've they, they've just created such a talent gap that um, I also understand why people just believe everything's a foregone conclusion and if I mean I probably would have had the DM on if Syracuse wasn't playing last night I don't know I would't have been watching it as intently but um, I can totally get why people would believe would think there's like a better use of their time that night uh, versus but then at the same time if they weren't this undefeated powerhouse, and it was two, you know, 28-5 and five teams playing in the, t- in the title game, they probably would have lost a whole other segment of viewers. So I do think that's an interesting debate and a worthy one. Um, but the, it's, uh, the, the difference between what UConn's done relative to the rest of their sport and what even a dominant team like the Warriors is, are doing, and they might have a chance, they still have a chance to win out and be the all-time winning this regular season team, um, it's just, it's monumental.
1: Yeah, and for what it's worth, I mean, I, I'm a noted Warriors hater just because of the fact that I hate Bay Area sports. But um, I don't think they're going to do it. Um, I, I, I was re- regrettably convinced of it maybe two weeks ago, but I'm starting to see the cracks. They still have to face the Spurs. Um, I mean, there's no shame if you go 71 and 11 or 72 and 10. I mean, it's not like you you earn some sort of you know awful place in history. I mean, unless you don't go win the title after that, but. The Warriors will be fine. UConn basketball will be fine. And we'll all be fine watching, you know, whether or not. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, if you have one dominant team, it it might take a little while, but it does encourage, you know, others to chase after it. And and some will chase after it and be copycats and do poorly, um, you know, trying to imitate. And others will chase after it in ways that they try to, you know, combat it head on and play a style that, you know, shuts it down. I think to me, um, I, I much prefer. You know the latter uh, because I think that's how the game develops and grows and, and starts to I mean for the NBA you know it, it takes a long time for a seismic shift in play style um, but but it is interesting to see different styles of play pop up the way the Warriors has um, in women's basketball I think that I prefer to see people find ways to stop it because, instead of just copy it because then what you're doing is you're taking a game that's still you know, largely in its infancy, and still growing a ton and developing a ton, and you're allowing it to to quickly splinter off different, you know, ways of doing things. I mean, even even a sport like college football that's that's you know 120, hundred and thirty years old, you're still seeing, you know, there's there's three to five types of offenses still trotted out there, and to me, that's what makes that sport so much fun. Is that you know there there's there's so much more you know game playing that goes into the week to week. There's so much more, uh, you know you know, experimentation that, that happens, um, more frequently. And to me that, that just, you know, that makes the game, uh, more watchable. It makes the game a lot more interesting because there's that, I mean, obviously with the, you know, expecting 18 to 22 year olds to do something is right away and intangible. You can't allow for in pros, but, you know, having 18 to 22 year olds then implement, you know, almost playing different games completely. Um, if you want to look at some of the more innovative offenses or defenses, um, yeah, that's a hell of a lot of fun, um, and some something that I, I'd like to see happen in, in women's basketball too. For sure,
0: and I actually I was just looking. I didn't realize. I knew they, the the Warriors had the two games with the Spurs. I didn't realize their other two were against the Grizzlies both times. That's not. <laughs> yeah, like why did why
1: why that why did that happen? Um, Go sixty nine and thirteen. Do it for me. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I think they'll fall just short. I don't think they're going to beat the Spurs twice. They might beat the Grizzlies twice, although that's pretty tough too. Um, not that the Grizzlies are great this year, but they're mean, and they, them they would they would be very happy to ruin the Warriors thing. So I think they fall. I think they probably split those four, honestly, the way they're playing now, and they fall a game short, which would be pretty unfortunate. But uh, also I'm hilarious. sure you'll enjoy it. Yeah, I mean, I have no no animus towards the Warriors, so right.
1: I mean, at the end of the I day, thought it was. So- at the end of the day, I'm still a Knicks fan, so I, I have to take I have to take pride in something during my NBA seasons.
0: Rambus, Shh,
1: please don't. It's happening. It's not. Please
0: no. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I was on a a bus ride to my apartment because our subway line was down last night, and I saw that, and I like, I they almost kicked me off. I think the way I responded to that that article, which dropped at like twelve fifteen a.m. I don't know if if. Uh, I don't know if the Knits like begged Mark to run that so late, but it was a it was a fun fun late night read.
1: Yeah, really, really. Sorry, hate sorry, that. John. <laughs> it's, it's fine. Just just trade Melo and, and save him from this, please.
0: He was only he was only a hundred games under five hundred in two years with the Timberwolves. So, I mean,
1: Melo doesn't deserve this.
0: No, I, I like mellow. I like I like. I actually don't really dislike the Knicks. I just think they're a, a comic, uh, They're comically tragic.
1: That's, yeah, that's my team's awful,
0: but like my team's boring awful.
1: That's true. You guys were boring awful this year. And I don't you know what I'd rather picks, be. And you gave all your picks to the team that's going to dominate the division next year. Yep, you're welcome. All right. All right. On that note, uh, beer. Dan, what were you drinking to get yourself through the Syracuse games? Um, so
0: after the loss to North Carolina, we went to Pony Bar, which is one of the better beer bars in the city. Um, I had a sculpin. They only had the regular sculpin, and they had the Habanero, which I was not in the mood for because I don't know that I'll be in the mood for it again. I've had it once. It was interesting. Um, but I don't know. That's a thing I'm going like, to go out and look for at this point. But I had the regular Sculpin, which is good. I like the grapefruit more. I haven't had the pineapple yet. Uh, I don't know if it's made its way out here yet um Soon, but sure. the regular ones yeah the regular ones really good so no complaints um I had the old chub uh nitro from Oster Blues uh not my favorite Oster Blues thing uh real um dark and and full bodied uh decent um but you know I'm not a huge uh fan of uh you know I'm not a huge porter fan or just I don't know those like coffee notes don't always agree with me, um, but it was pretty good. Uh, and I had uh, an Omega Gang wit, which again one of my solid notes who Was always happy to find that, and it seems to be pretty easy to find now, which is always good. So some pretty decent decent options down there on a Sunday night or Saturday night.
1: Yeah, I mean Omega Gangs everywhere at this point, and I think it's it's always good to see good beer find its way around the country. I know I can find it pretty regularly out here as well yeah, definitely a positive. On my end, I was down in Houston, so enjoying some new things. Um, had the Carbach uh, Hopadillo IPA. Uh, had that a couple times. Had the St. Arnold Summer Pills, uh, which was very good. I'm um, not usually a big pills and a drinker, but this was very enjoyable. Um, had St. Arnold's Art Car IPA as well. Had to give myself a fresh glass of uh, Yellow Rose uh, from Lone Pint. I've discussed that one before. It's very, very good. Carbach um, also had the vice uh, Versa Wheat. Uh, it's a wood beer. Very, very, you know, just like over the top, but like in a good way. Banana notes on that one. I really enjoyed that. Um, I thought I had gotten a good sign from uh, from getting a, brewery, a beer from 8th Wonder Brewery called Dome Foam. Um, sadly, it was not the case. And beyond that, I uh, had your typical, like, Texas, you know, local beer, Lone Star, which, I don't know. I mean, Shout, out. Shout out to Matthew McConaughey. I don't hate Lone Star beer, and, like, I see a lot of people pan it as, like, a shit beer. I don't, like, it's not like I would go out and, like, try to drink it all the time, but when you're sitting around eating barbecue or just relaxing or whatever, like, I don't really see the, the problem with it. Um, had Carbox Weekend Warrior as well. Um, and that was a very good pale ale from them. I was going to head over to the brewery, but um, the the way the day was going and all that on Sunday did not work out. A shame. Maybe next time I'm down in Houston, if ever, I'll uh, I'll have to hit them up.
0: Was the dome foam just a stale about Blue Light?
1: You, you would think that that would sell a lot if they had really done their market research before Syracuse fans got there. <laughs> but no, it was just your, your typical uh, kind of okay cream ale. I don't really know why they went with Dome Foam um, out of some sort of weird coincidence. Maybe it's just, I'm sure there's a backstory there that I, that I would like to know just for the hell of it.
0: Maybe, I mean, maybe the Astrodome? Is it a Houston beer?
1: Ah, yes. That could be it.
0: That's probably it's the likely. That's likely, I think.
1: It was weird when I was at the stadium seeing the Astrodome, like, just chilling in the parking lot. Because, like, it's still there. But I don't think it's used anymore. Uh,
0: yeah, I, I don't think they've used it for a couple of years. So, like,
1: I don't really know why it's there.
0: Well, I think it's like a, it might be protected. It might be a. Uh... I don't know if it's like a historical monument now
1: or something, but, uh, such a waste of parking lot space. I mean, I get it. And and I think that, that the, the stadium is important, but I think it was just crazy to like, see like how much of the parking lot that thing takes up, you know, like, and then right next to the enormous NRG field.
0: Yeah. Apparently it was closed in 2008 after code violations. And since then, only maintenance workers and security guards have been allowed to enter. Um, and they were considering re, uh, like fixing it up for the 2012 summer Olympics. So that didn't happen. So it sounds like nothing's really happening with it now.
1: I'm just surprised Houston tried to bid on the 2012 Olympics.
0: Yeah. Houston doesn't seem like an Olympic city to me. No,
1: I mean, you know what? I actually think Houston gets a bad rap. Um, they actually seemed like a really nice, accommodating city. It was a lot of fun. People were nice. Like, actually, I actually enjoyed myself um, quite a bit there. I, I thought that my only complaint was that I'd say that that the downtown bar and restaurant scene was better. Um, I think the beer scene was pretty good, but the only complaint, and, and that, this goes for a lot of cities, not just um, you know, uh, Houston, is the the fact that you need to um, take a bus to get from you know the fan events and everything else if you're staying in downtown to get over to the stadium Um, i just think that's a that's you know a result of kind of modern um stadium trends and urban planning trends though um indianapolis happens to have their stadium right in downtown and everything's kind of connected um via surface streets or they have their like overhead um Skyway that that connects a bunch of the hotels and the convention centers and the stadiums and, and, and that's pretty cool I think that's kind of unique to them. That's something that I, I did wish was the case um, this year when I had to, you know, sit in an hour's worth of traffic from downtown Houston to the stadium or then deal with an hour's worth of traffic on the way back after the game when every single person was also trying to leave.
0: Yeah, it is weird. Just like, I mean, Dallas 10 has the same thing where Arlington's how far away and... Like you said, like most other cities, try to build all their stuff in one area, which makes all the sense.
1: Well, the problem with Dallas is since it is a metroplex, there's like since it's they. I mean, they purposely put all the all the crap everywhere. So like all there's all the stuff in Dallas um, for part of the fan events. Um, they usually have some fan events, and a lot of the um, broadcast stuff gets set up in um, Sundance Square over in Fort Worth, um, and then the stadium, you know, is actually in Arlington. In this case, the stadium's in Houston, so it's just insane that it takes, I mean, I, I live in California, I understand how traffic works. It's just insane that it takes, you know, an hour in Houston. I I, totally, I much more understand it when you're driving from Fort Worth to Arlington or Dallas to Arlington and, and how spread out that, that Metroplex is.
0: yep I guess all these places like I don't know about Indy but like Atlanta also is obviously a horrid traffic city so I guess they just like picking cities with ridiculous traffic situations
1: yeah I, I would think though that like I think this is why New Orleans works so well usually um because I mean the stadiums in New Orleans proper I'm pretty sure you can get there fairly easily um from all the usual touristy stuff um yeah, that's not the case in most other stadiums in the country now. Just based on again the way the way they've they've done things in the, and how much land you need for an NFL stadium in particular, um, it's just not really conducive um, to having it, it in, the, in the middle of a city. I mean, that's why the the West Side Stadium didn't work for the Jets. Um, that's why you know the Rams are building you know not downtown, not near Hollywood, not you know near the beach. They're they're going to build in Inglewood. Um, so yeah, it's it's going to be interesting because obviously you know the The Rams are probably their stadium will probably end up with um, a Final Four sooner rather than later, Um, and so a lot of these these other new stadiums. So it'll be interesting to see how, and well, if and how you know the Final Four and other big events keep moving further and further toward stadiums that don't necessarily, um, you know, make it easy to get around. I mean, I, I doubt they ever repeat the the you know MetLife Stadium disaster again when it comes to the Giants and Jets home in New Jersey. Um, just because, I mean, unless you're going to host a Super Bowl in New Jersey and not New York, it just doesn't work. But yeah, I, I think that, I think people have proven that go to these games regardless. So I don't really see it changing anytime soon.
0: No, I mean, they're definitely not going to move them out of the big stadiums. And honestly, I was talking about this today as someone who's been to a final four now and you've been to a couple, um, the sight lines are not great. Everyone knows that. Uh, I will say if people want to, uh, move these games back to, like, basketball arenas, you can prepare for absolutely no actual fans to be able to go based on the coaching convention being the same weekend and all of the families and all of the media. So while, you know, fans uh, don't get, you know, great seats at all, um, they're not I, – I, in Atlanta, at least, I didn't think they were quite as bad as, as I expected. And also, it's not the most expensive sporting – like, major sporting event championship. Yeah, it's actually very um, for- affordable. Yeah, I mean, I was working uh, not even full time, right at like a year out of college, and I was able, and it wasn't easy, but I scrambled up enough money to get myself to Atlanta and tickets to the game. I mean, I ended up selling the championship, which helped. But, like, if you really want to go, it's, you know, you'll pay a couple hundred bucks for the whole book, unless it's like a ridiculous set of teams. Um, So while you're not going to be able to, you know, you're not going to be sitting in like the MSG fourth tier where you'd still see everything pretty pretty easily, like the seats, at least at the Georgia Dome, and I'm sure it's pretty similar to most of the other ones, they're all roughly the same size they're not as bad as people make them out to be, and uh, otherwise you'd be paying you know, three grand to get in the door at uh, Wells Fargo or something so I think for what it is, I think you kind of get the best um, of what the options are, because otherwise it'd just be a totally corporate exclusive event that would suck so, that's my rant on the seating situation in the Final Four.
1: No, that's fun. And honestly, I think you know if you win the geographic lottery the way Pete, the way uh, UNC and Villanova fans did uh, this past Monday, I mean, you were looking at a situation where, like, I personally, like, I had I had two sets of seats, um, and I sold one pair for a hundred apiece for the Monday night game, and it was third level mid And I mean, that's that's a really that's a great view, and, and it's. It's something that, like, you know, if this was the NBA Finals, would be worth a couple thousand. Yeah, um, yeah it's it's because Villanova fans weren't really going to be able to, to flock down there very quickly um, from most of their outposts in New York. Um, I know that, you know, North Carolina fans, um, a bunch of them had definitely made plans to just be there for the championship because they assumed a lot about beating us, um, from what I understood. And, and UNC definitely increase but you know it's also an older fan base so i understand that there might be a little bit difference when it comes to travel like i mean you see unc fans is a lot of all the same criticism levied on parts of our fan base about being older and more like kind of sedentary and and very much like old-fashioned that exists in, in in by three to fourfold with with unc they have plenty of young fans too obviously but um plenty of older ones as well, and you saw them out in full force. It's a, the Monday event, uh, because of that, and because, you know, especially when you, you know, play the lottery of, you know, geography versus, you know, who's going to get there and all that, um, I'd say it was definitely much more corporate on Monday than the very, very fan-centric event on uh, on Saturday when I was there. And definitely a lot less Syracuse fans there um, come Monday night as well. I can understand why. I mean, you don't want to take off a day and all that, but... Definitely, uh, two two very different crowds. I would highly recommend, you know, if if you can afford it, you can find a way to get there in some way, shape, or form. Everyone should go to one, especially if their team's there, just because it it gets, puts a new perspective on, you know, just how much goes into these events and and how much, you know, uh, I guess like fanfare and fun and like how much a lot of these people like we're not the only ones that care this much about our teams. It's it's great to see. I mean, I saw probably forty five to fifty different uh, you know t shirts and hats for different teams. Um, while we were just like walking into the stadiums, it was fun to see, you know, people even if their team wasn't there. I mean, I saw, you know, far reached schools as like small as uh, South Dakota State, you know, represented um, in, in, in the line of people trying to get in. So that was that was a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, I mean, it sounds like you had kind of a similar experience. I mean, in 2013, uh, we obviously lost the first game, which was like within four hours of us landing in the city. Um, and I think we paid like 350 for our sets of tickets each, and we sold the championship for just over 200. So we ended up spending maybe like 150 bucks to go to the final four, of the Saturday games, net. And I mean, we lost real early, obviously, uh, like we did on this this weekend. But uh, it sounds like you kind of had a similar a similar experience, where just being there for the weekend was was a blast, even after losing. Um, just getting to see, like, that whole world of college basketball culture. Um, and then, obviously, you had two pretty interesting fan bases down there uh, in UNC and Villanova um, after. And I guess Oklahoma was probably, uh, was probably an interesting one as well, just based on them being kind of a football school. Um, they
1: weren't there very long, is the problem. They,
0: they were probably close enough where they could all peace out.
1: Yeah, they all drove, and then they, none of them got there until Saturday. So then they were all gone that night or early next morning.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. What, what would you say the, the full breakdown on Saturday was like in terms of like the, uh, the fan breakdown?
1: Um, bef- I'd say before I got over to the stadium, I would have thought that all four were pretty even. Um, but once you got there, Oklahoma was, was number one uh, by a significant margin. I'd say that makes U- sense. Yeah, I'd say UNC was a close two. Was not, not a close two. I'd say UNC was two and Syracuse was actually a close three. Like it seemed they, like we were really
0: well present, represented. We for... were
1: incredibly well represented. I think it's—I was talking to somebody about this today at work. It's largely because you know all the West Coast alums like myself um, were able to go. We have a pretty large contingent of alums in, in uh, Texas that all kind of drove there. We have a decent amount in New Orleans. There's, there's a lot—a lot of folks who can get to these games. Um, you know, when you're in Texas, and I—I I think all of them just decided to, or at least a ton of them decided to just go. Because uh, I, I met a couple different SU fans from California, um, so yeah, I'd say we were pretty close third. It might have at one point I thought we were in second, um, but once you saw the, the building fill up a little bit more, definitely a little more powder blue. Um, then Nova was Nova was fourth. Um, I wouldn't say like you know lapped, but at the same time, I'd say like they weren't they weren't close to where we us and UNC were. And then Monday, I'd say the stadium was probably. I'd say it was a slight edge to UNC, but not by much. Nova, like, doubled in size from the time. It seems
0: like Nova fans just, like, got, de- got themselves there. Like, uh, from everything I heard from people that were down there, like, just apparently every flight in Philadelphia got redirected to Houston, and every Nova fan just went to Houston Sunday night or whatever.
1: Yeah, I, like, I, my hotel, I thought it was, like, pretty evenly mixed um, the first two nights, and then by Sunday, I thought I was in a Nova hotel. Um, it was it was pretty wild, and you even saw like the student section. Um, if, if they showed uh, you know an overhead shot or two during the games on Saturday, you saw that Nova probably had the between them and us probably had like the least amount of fans in there, and then you know Nova had more fans in the student section uh, for the championship game than North Carolina did. Um, I just thought it was like completely wild how many how many folks got down there, and you know again UNC had plenty of people there themselves, um, but. That was probably – I'd say in order of, of uh, fan bases, it was one, corporate, two, Nova – well, two, North Carolina, a very close three, Villanova, and then four was probably Syracuse because I think Oklahoma fans just ran. Yeah,
0: so take this uh, for all the, the big wits at the NCAA who obviously read the selection committee process every year. Invite Syracuse. They will, will come to things no matter where they are because – our fan base does not stay in Syracuse when they graduate, much to the detriment of the Central New York economy. We go everywhere else.
1: <laughs> <That's very true. laughs> it was interesting to see because, like, you know, I was at the college football playoff this year, and it was interesting to see, um, you know, the, the interplay with with college basketball fans versus um, college football fans, and, and like, obviously, you and I are both are both. Um, but but hold more, I guess, in common demographically with college basketball fans, just in terms of where we live and, and, and you know, where we went to school and things like that. Um, yeah, it was it was interesting to see. There was a lot more shit-talking than you saw when you had two Southern fan bases uh, of fairly successful programs, Alabama in particular. Um, there was a lot more drinking going on than there, than there was the college football playoff. Uh, despite the fact that the college football playoff you weren't as relegated to booze before the game and after it. You had you were you had access to it during as well, um, because that event's run by college football playoff and not um, NCAA. But yeah, it was definitely interesting to see a, a little bit different um, vibe f- from the crowd, and especially when I, it, was, you know, it was only a couple months after I just went to the other event to be able to you know quickly kind of do that that Venn diagram of you know what's completely different and, and what what holds true for both.
0: Yeah, I, I think the Nova fan base is probably not all that dissimilar. It's probably a little less diverse, but it's probably not all that dissimilar to the Syracuse fan base in being, like, a lot of Northeasterners, um, obviously a private school, very basketball-focused. Uh, and you get that brash, like, everyone else is also probably a bigger pro sports fan outside of uh, their their college allegiance, so you get, like, just that awful, like, Philly NFL uh, yeah. Eagle fan-type deal going on. And then you also had, like, them just riding this wave of, uh, they just beat Oklahoma by a thousand. So I'm sure it was a, uh, I'm sure North Carolina fans didn't quite know how to deal with that.
1: Well, I mean, you look at North Carolina fans, they really didn't take too kindly to us, and and most of the other ACC schools really not take too kindly to us, and we show up and start, you know, prattling on about about how good we are and, and, and when we win games, and, and even if we don't, we kind of have some smack to talk to people. Um, yeah, I don't know how well Southern fans, just in general, like, Take to that granted. I think UNC w- would be UNC. Will talk more than most, just because I think they have plenty of Southern fans. They have plenty of fans in Northeast. They got plenty of fans in DC. They have plenty of fans elsewhere. Um, you brought up the one point though, comparing us to Villanova a little bit. Um, I think the one thing that we had the Villanova might not. I don't know how much Philly like Villanova's local fan base is much smaller than ours. Um, I, I would assume that their casual fan base might be a little bit smaller than ours, too. I think that, you know, in, in New York, there's, there's a lot more fans, obviously, than there are in Philly. Um, and I think, you know, between Long Island and, and, and the city itself, and, and even, you know, Westchester and, and most of upstate, I think, there's just a lot of casual Syracuse fans in the city. There's a lot of casual Yukon fans, a lot of casual Syracuse fans um, that had that no affiliation to the university or the city. Um, so I would bet that Syracuse is a little bit different in that regard, um, especially again to the the local fans. I mean, Philly has you know five teams to choose from, and Villanova doesn't necessarily play in the city um, versus some of the others that do. Um, so I, I would be I would be interested to see kind of the, the the way we're we're different than them. I mean, obviously, it doesn't really matter they, in terms of wins and losses. It's just more of a, a I guess. I don't know. I guess the anthropological study. If we're gonna if we're gonna go deep into it,
0: yeah, I think that's what i meant a little like in terms of like fan base diversity. Where I'm assuming most Nova fans have like a direct connection to Villanova. Um, like uh, I don't know if you heard, but Ryan Archie Diakono's parents went there. Of course. They did. Um, I don't know if you heard that because you were at the game, but we heard it a lot. Here, those of us that weren't at the game. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, like you said, uh, if you were a Philly, you probably you might maybe you adopt like a Drexler, Temple, or a Nova. But um, Syracuse obviously has, like, the huge local fan base, and um, obviously it's very well-documented how have said the Syracuse, like, all the various corners of the Syracuse fan base between the alumni and the locals and, and whatnot, where Nova's probably more um, alumni and family and whatnot, um, and probably smaller. Um, also interesting that I think Nova probably had this crazy turnout because uh, they don't go, I mean, they, they went in, what, 9 to the final four, but they really, uh, even though they've been really good for a while, uh, barring the recent tournament flameouts, like they really don't get counted among the like second, third tier, like just below the blue bloods. Like we do. Um, mm-hmm. even though now they have one more title than us, which, uh, I hope not to hear too much about in the next couple months. Um, but so this was definitely like a big moment for them, I think. And it'll be interesting to see what Jay Wright does. It does with it because, um, I don't expect him to change his like recruiting philosophies too much. because he's kind of had, ran that same uh, four in one out or a four four out one in system like the whole time he's been there, and it's been pretty effective? Um, but I do wonder if he's able to get in with like a slightly higher caliber of guard now.
1: Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't doubt that. I mean, Villanova always kind of recruited the same types of players, um, and, and it's worked um, fairly well. Um, so definitely, definitely will be intriguing to see what they can do, um, especially in the zombie Big East. You know, I was going to say, and you brought up the fact they have two titles. Um, I feel like I feel like none of the teams with two titles um, get the consideration we do with one, if that makes sense. I mean, you're looking at—I don't have the full list in front of me—but um, NC State, Villanova, Florida, um, USF, obviously, but that's so far in the past that it doesn't matter. Um,
0: San Francisco for the yeah. for the people who don't remember <laughs> Will American Chamberlain. It was Bill well, Russell? No, Bill Russell. Sorry. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think it's because, like, a lot of those were, like, kind of not fluke. Well, some of them kind of fluky. Um, but also, I think Syracuse is just so, like, so consistent. Um,
1: well, most basketball like, again, fans now, like, just assume that Syracuse is going to be good because it's all they've known at this point.
0: Yeah. Where Nova's had down periods, they've had, like, they had a 13 win year a couple years ago. So, like, Syracuse. Again, this our final four team was our losing his team under Jim Beheim, which yep. I still it's still crazy. <laughs> the first Jim Beheim team to lose fourteen games. Um, so yeah, in one of our worst years, uh, we went to the final four. So that's kind of what, like you know, Syracuse will be around even if they don't make a deep run every year. You know, they'll they'll be in the tournament like ninety percent of the time, and they'll usually. Like someone will usually be like, "Oh, Syracuse used to be dangerous as a four seed there, or a five seed there." Like this year was weird, just because they were such a low seed and they had so many losses. Because usually it's just we're just we're we're always there in the conversations, floating around somewhere in the top twenty-five.
1: Weird. Maybe we are blue blood. Maybe I wouldn't say we are, but I I, no. I also we're, we're light
0: blue blood. We're 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 there. We're we're, we're somewhere. We're somewhere below. Yeah. For some reason, like if if the fan base wants to be mad as UConn because they don't get counted, and they definitely should be. Not so to UConn, all Like I don't know why we'd turn like the Yukon uh credit podcast, but yeah, weird. You UConn probably should be a blue blood, and they just don't get like the the Dukes and and Kansas is like just don't want any part of that.
1: I'll put I'll put UConn on the same tier as us. Um
0: <laughs> Oh, n- how nice of you!
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, it's like it's like yeah. It's, to me to them, it's just like such a backhanded like like you could, yeah. You come you know, with your
0: four titles, you could, you could be you could second be tier program. Yeah. we Will be
1: nice. Yeah, I think it's us. It's them. It's Michigan State, it's
0: Louisville. Louisville,
1: Georgetown. I guess, but I think I, it's getting harder and harder to defend that at this point. I don't want to put Villanova in front of them I, now.
0: Oh, I would. Villanova's way better on an annual basis than Georgetown. Like Georgetown since '07 hasn't done anything.
1: Well, JT three is trash. Let's be real.
0: Oh yeah, I mean, uh, eventually they kind of have to get rid of him, right? <laughs> they, yeah. they should be better. They They're in won't. DC, but they yeah. won't. Jeez. John Thompson's scary. He's (laughs) terrible. John Thompson will say, like, I'll go beat up the chancellor, and he will do it because he's crazy. And uh, JT3 will just be coached there forever, which is fine with me. I I accept it. I hope he stays there forever.
1: Well, the problem is, like, you know, I I would much prefer that Maryland and Georgetown come undone on a yearly basis. But the issue is now, like, UVA can go in and get the players that those two programs used to get all the time. Uh, Maryland, just like they did in football, invited – You know the rest of the Big Ten into their turf, and and that could have implications for us too because I think the one place, I mean, other than Philly, um, and New York, obviously, where we've always been able to go down and get guys, is that kind of you know DMV corridor. Uh, So it'll be interesting to see long term if, if we get shut out of that area because there's there's a glut of programs mining that for talent.
0: Yeah, I didn't even think about that. But you're right. Like Philly Philly and DMV have probably been the two best. It's like Even New York City, we haven't gotten that many NYC kids in the last couple of years. We've actually gotten more out of like Boston.
1: Yeah, definitely a weird construct. I'm very much looking forward to these next couple of years, as I always am when it comes to Syracuse sports.
0: Yeah, and if all falls well, you could be looking at a uh, top 10 team that's here. Uh, so please come back, Balakai. Not that we're telling you what to do with your future.
1: I, I am far from telling him what to do. I'm just telling him... I'm telling him what I would like him to do, but I don't implore him to do so. It's just something that I I would appreciate.
0: Yes, and none of you should tell him either. Let's
1: let him figure it out. Especially on Twitter. Don't do that. Oh, yeah.
0: Don't tweet at him. Clearly, like you don't want to make him upset. Just leave him alone. He'll figure it out.
1: I mean, it's unlikely he'll impact him at all, but at the same time, let's not risk it. Just, Just don't annoy the guy. Right. And on that note... Uh, don't tweet at teenagers. Uh, that was Dan. I'm John. Uh, you've been listening to Troy Noons and Absolute Podcast. Uh, Dan, thank you as always for joining.
0: Yes. Happy to uh, be speaking basketball into April. Yeah. Very it's... fun. Let's do it again next year. Let's let's go to Phoenix, as I said in multiple social media posts.
1: I, I would also say let's go to Phoenix since I can drive there.
0: Uh, I probably won't drive there because that would be crazy, but uh, I'll I'll fly there.
1: Perfect. <laughs> or, or, or fly here and we'll drive there that way. That, you, that'd be fine.
0: It'll probably I, cost I'd...
1: you less money to do that.
0: Yes. let's. We'll, we'll. I'll plan for this now. And Malachi, don't make me uh, refund my plane ticket.
1: Agreed. All right. That was Dan. <laughs> I'm John. Uh, be sure to rate, review, subscribe on Blog Talk and iTunes. And uh, we'll see you next week. Go Orange Lacrosse.
0: Go Orange.